the spirit of it being Father's Day, there's no better thing to do than for me to tell you a story about my father, <coughs> my earthly father, sitting in the front row. Thank you very much. All right, so, I mean, honestly, it's more embarrassing about me than it is about him, but here we go. Uh, my father loves his jet ski. Not my mother. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. He loves my mother, but the jet ski is a close second. So he loves his jet ski. When I was younger, we ended up having enough money to afford this jet ski, and it was bought with the reason that it would allow for family bonding time. We all know who bonded with it the most, but it was family bonding time. And so if it was a good, if the day was good weather, if we were all free and it was sunny outside, after a while, our family would be efficient at getting the jet ski ready to go to the lake. It would be like a military base. Like my mum would pack the food, the boys would pack the car, and I would supervise. <laughs> and we'd go out to the lake. Sometimes we'd bring family friends along as well. And then again, super efficient. Mum would unpack the food and the chairs and everything. The boys would unload the jet ski, blow up the biscuits, and I would supervise. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I helped out in that part. But um, the thing is, oh, so you know biscuits, right? Those round inflatable things that hook on the back of the jet ski and you ride them out into the water. They're super fun. My dad's really good at making it really fun for the kids when we go out into the water and everything like that. But here's the thing. When we have family friends come along, and sometimes we have the dads all lined up along the side of the lake with you know, their dad jeans and their dad sunglasses and a can of Coke just watching what's going on with the kids. My dad sometimes liked to show them just how well he knew how to ride his jet ski. <laughs> so he'd go just a little bit faster on the straights. And instead of just doing, you know, a casual turn on the corners, he'd do a 360. I know. Just, you know, one-upping them a little bit, showing them who's boss and all of that. And one of those days, I can't exactly remember which family friends were with us, but... My brother and I were on one of the biscuits holding on together, and there are a couple of other kids on the other biscuit holding on together, and we're going out, and obviously my dad, because it's family friends, and there's a dad on the shore watching, he's going that little bit faster. My little brother decides to do the smart thing in this situation and yell out the one word that eggs on my dad the most. Faster! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and... So obviously, naturally, we go faster and we get to the turn and my dad does one turn and us kids go flying and we're holding on and he goes around once and then he goes around a second time and by this point, we're holding on tight. Martin was young by that stage so um, he didn't have the gains that I do. <laughs> yeah. So he started sliding down the, the biscuit and he lost his grip on one of the handles so I'm holding on but me being the good sister that I am with my little brother hanging by a thread I let go with one hand and I start trying to like pull him back up onto the biscuit you know as any good sister would do but then we go around for a third time and the worst thing happens 
the biscuit starts to tip. And I'm holding on. Martin, just hold on. We'll make it. And I'm holding on. And then I pause for a second. And I look at the person who caused this situation. And I made a decision in that moment. Made eye contact with him, I swear. I held on to him. And I looked at him. And I made the decision that was best for the both of us. I went... Long live the king. And I held on to that, jet, oh, to that biscuit. My brother went flying. I swear I got like three skips out of him. It was spectacular. It was so fun, except I didn't realize, right, that once he's gone, the biscuit is weighted. And so I ended up eating dirt as well, or water in this case. There we go. The dad joke for the day. Uh, so that is a bit of a funny story about... My dad, mostly um, a little bit of insight into my character at that stage. Um, And I say this because what has happened a lot recently for me um, is I've had people come up to me and they say the weirdest thing. They say I'm nice, which is odd because... (laughs) Which is odd because I don't see that in myself a lot of the time. And to be honest exactly as this story shows you. Sometimes I can be a bit merciless, but a lot of the time, especially my non-Christian friends, they'd be like, how are you so nice? Like, I'd be snapping at that person hours ago, but you're just so patient. And I'm not naturally like that. And so this is a bit of insight into me now. I'm not actually naturally like that. And in those situations, I have to be like, it's Jesus, you know, because this is not my natural state. But how often do we find ourselves in situations like that where we're struggling and we're holding on, we're barely keeping our heads above the water, and we look at someone around us who is struggling as well, and we go, every man for himself. And, uh, okay, maybe you're not as blunt with yourselves as I am, but how many of us have ever, say, for example, walked down the street and we see a homeless person sitting at the side of the road and we look at them and we go, I'm also poor. Like, I'm also kind of struggling right now. I've got student debt coming out of my ears, or I just don't have enough cash on me at the moment. It's not like I can just run into a store that's right next to the road and get some cash out. So I really hope it all goes well for you, but I'm just going to walk past and hope we don't make eye contact. No? Yeah? Yeah? Because I swear that happens to me a lot, and I've been really challenged lately to not do that. But I have other instances as well. This happens to me a lot, actually, where I'd see somebody and they're clearly having a bad day. Like neon signs around them saying, avoid at all costs. And I look at them, they're clearly having a bad day, and I go, I'm also having a bad day. Like, I don't think my bad day and your bad day is really going to mesh well, so I'm just going to avoid all of that and swerve and go watch Netflix. How often do we put our struggles above the struggles of others? Because the world today tells us that's fine. The world today tells us that it's totally okay 
for you to put yourself above others. As long as you've got an excuse. As long as you've got an excuse, you can treat yourself. Treat yourself, girl. And you can do whatever you like. As long as you've got a good excuse for it, you can put yourself above others. But is that the culture that Jesus wanted us to live? Is that the kind of lifestyle that God created us to live in? I don't think so. I really don't think so. In fact, I think that God's called us to more than just this life that the world has told us we should live. I think God's called us to have hearts that bleed for others, to have hearts that break for others. Because if I was a doctor in, this, in today's world, I'd look at it and I'd diagnose it with a severe case of the hardened heart. Our hearts are so hard now. Not just in the church, but in the world around us. And we need to be a light on the hill and we need to be defined by the softness of our hearts. We need to be defined by compassion, by grace, by mercy. But what are we showing the world right now? What are we living right now? And so as we look in this passage today, I really felt like God was saying, today is the day where we break some hearts. And I'm not talking about, you know, ooh, lovey-dovey, breaking hearts. I'm talking about breaking your heart for what breaks his. Breaking your heart for other people. I think it's about time that our hearts got broken, folks. And so today, if I can figure out how to turn this thing on. Uh, ah, there we go. That's how it works. How to break your heart. 101. So we're looking in Luke. <clears throat> we're looking in Luke 7, verse 11 to 17. So if you guys want to get your Bibles out for that, go for it. But I've also got it on the screen here. The verse goes, Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crown from the town was with her. Now let's pause there for a second. I don't know if you guys know this, but there was a reason why Luke wrote, only son of his mother, and she was a widow. He could have just said a mum's son was killed and the mum was sad, or the, the child was dead and the mum was sad. But he made a point of saying only son, and he made a point of saying widow. There's a reason why the Bible says, look after orphans and widows in their distress. Because widows in those days were not like the widows that we see on reality TV. You know, the ones with the fluffy dressing gowns and the glass of Chardonnay. Not those kinds of widows. No, in fact, in the patriarchal society of that day and age, being a woman who doesn't have a, a male figure in your life, a protector in your life, some sort of guy that's providing for you, you were doomed, pretty much. You were vulnerable. You didn't have a financial income. You were dependent on the men in your life. And so this woman, not only has she lost her husband, but she's lost her only son. She has no means of financial income. And to top it all off, she's just lost her child. 
she's just lost her child. And so, she, I mean, being a widow, it's basically at the best you live a miserable life, at the worst it's a death sentence. This woman had no hope for a future, had no child, and had no hope for the future. But Jesus, but Jesus, can everyone just say that with me? But Jesus, but Jesus, he saw it. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. And now don't cry might be a little bit inappropriate in this situation, but listen to what follows. He gave her a reason not to cry. He went up, to the, he went up and touched the bear, so the plank that they were carrying the dead body on, and they were carrying him on and the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. He gave the widow not, no reason to cry out of that. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. The news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. God has come to help his people. Still true today, by the way. Just want to say that. All right. So I want to bring attention, because there's a lot that we could cover in this passage. But I want to bring attention to verse 13. See, when I read this, when I read this verse, my mind just played over and over and over again. That phrase right there, his heart went out to her. In other translations, it says his heart broke, or he was filled with pity for her, or he was moved to compassion for her. In fact, if we look at it, that, I'm not even going to try and pronounce it, but that phrase is a Greek phrase that literally translates, or roughly translates to, was moved with compassion. Compassion. Not a word we just throw about every now and then. In fact, not a word that we use to describe people a lot of the time. We normally say, oh, they're just really nice. How often do we say that person is super compassionate? That person is filled with compassion. Did you see David that day? He was super compassionate. We don't hear the word compassion as much as we should. And yet, it is one of the most important values for us as Christians. And the world today tells us, ah, oh, it's okay to put yourself first. But we are called to be different than that. And I don't know about you, but I want to be different than that. I don't want to be just somebody who lives life for myself. I want to be defined by the word compassion. So let's talk about that. Because there's a few parts in the Bible where it says, for example, in Colossians 3 verse 12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. As in, clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves. Make it visible. So that when other people see it, they can't help but notice they can't help but notice you're wearing it on your sleeve. But we, we, a lot of the time, like to fit in with the rest of the world. We like to blend in. 
Galatians 6 verse 2 says, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Where in the Bible does it say, serve each other, but only if it doesn't inconvenience you? Where in the Bible does it say, carry each other's burdens, but only if it's not too heavy? No, we need to be like a light upon a hill. We as a body of Christ should be so undeniably different in our actions, in our speech, in the way that we carry ourselves, in our character, that people can't help but notice. It's like we're a different species to the world outside. It's something that people can't help but notice and can't help but be attracted to. But so often, we blend in and we don't look any different to the rest of the world. I don't know about you, but I want to be different. And so as I was reading this verse, well, not this one, verse 13 slash 14, I thought to myself, well, I mean, God shows us how to be different. He shows us how to break our hearts. He shows us how to break our hearts the way God does. And so if we look at it, there's three segments to this verse. When the Lord saw her, firstly, God sees. He sees. He doesn't just look. He sees what's going on in your life. Secondly, his heart went out to her. He was moved with compassion. Thirdly, he said, don't cry. And then he goes on and heals the child. He gives her a reason not to cry. He's moved so much with compassion that he's moved to action. And so, first step to break your heart the way God does, see people the way God sees them. The first part of that verse tells us volumes about Jesus' heart. In fact, in the passage just beforehand, so this was a couple of weeks back, Cathan talked about um, the centurion. So this is in the passage just before the one we read about the centurion and um, Jesus comes and heals his servant. Now the centurion is a visible man. He's a famous man. He's everybody's man. Everybody knows him. Who knows this widow, this poor, insignificant by that world's standards, invisible by that world's standards, widow from a small town. Capernaum, from the previous passage, was a big town. This is a small town. But Jesus sees the person who by everyone else's standards is invisible. By everyone else's standards is not really that significant, isn't really that worthless. He sees her and our God. He sees you. You hide in the corners. You who hide in the shadows because you think that you're not good enough to step out into the light. He sees you. Our God is called Alroy. It's in one another name for him. It's called the God who sees me. Not the God who looks at me. The God who actually sees me. All my imperfections, everything, he sees it. And we are called to be like-minded. We are called to be like Christ. We are called to see people. I pray this prayer a lot. And it's, God, help me to see people the way you see them. And I started, it started really happening for real at the end of high school. And let me tell you this. Okay, it's good. It's a good prayer. Would highly recommend. But let me warn you, it's painful. It's not fun. Because not only do you now see the visible people, but you see the invisible people. So not only do you see the people that are easy to love, 
you see the people who are difficult to love. Not only do you see the people that you wouldn't mind talking to, but you see the people that you would have rather avoided. And now you can't ignore them. I can't unsee them anymore. God, why? I can't unsee the pain in the world. I can't unsee the people who are suffering. I can't unhurt my heart for those people's hurts. I wouldn't give it up for sure, but it means that we need to face head on the pain in the world. We as humans, our human inclination is to avoid eye contact with pain. It's a defense mechanism, psychology. And, <laughs> but the thing is, God doesn't do that. No, he looks it directly in the face. Have you ever watched somebody who's crying, like weeping unconsolably? That's not pretty. But God looks at that full in the face. He doesn't avoid his gaze. And so we need to decide tonight that enough is enough. We as a church, as a body of Christ, need to look at the suffering in the world, look at the avoided, look at the invisible, look at him full in the face and actually see what's going on. We need to not just look, but see. Secondly, that second part of the verse talks about God's heart went out for her. He had compassion. Second point is have compassion for people the way God does. Now, you'll note that I keep saying the way God does because we as humans are screwed. (laughs) We're not good enough to do things to the level of compassion that God wants us to do them at. And so his heart went out to her, as the verse says. Other translations say he had compassion. I want to draw your attention to the word compassion. Now, the dictionary says it's sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings and misfortunes of others. But if you look at the Latin translator, the the origin of the word itself, which comes from a Latin word, compati, which means to suffer with. Come with, pati, suffer, endure, undergo. It means to suffer with. So when, so it's pretty much other people's heartbreak becomes your heartbreak. Other people's pain becomes your pain. The Bible says, mourn with those who mourn. It wasn't just said flippantly. We genuinely have to undergo the same suffering as other people because there's no other way to have compassion. There's no other way to have the same heart as God has for other people. And this shows you a lot about God as well because you, when you're suffering, you're not alone. That song earlier said, you are not alone, I am not alone. You are not alone in your suffering. No, God is going through every single inch of that pain that you have undergone yourself as well. Compassion is deeper than simply feeling sorry for someone. It stirs up passion and a desire for action. But I'll be honest, it's sometimes difficult to love somebody who's difficult to love, right? Especially if I've been a bit slack at drawing close to God. So that's why I say, as God does, because I can't do this without God. The further I drift away from God, the further I drift away from being the person he's called me to be, and the less nice I become. But the closer I draw into God, 
the more my heart aligns with his heart, the more my heart will break for what his heart breaks. The Hebrew word for passion means to cleave. Cleave means to stick together, to adhere, to be close, tightly knit with. They say it sometimes as a husband cleaves to his wife. But we are also called, the Bible says, to have a passion for the Lord, to cleave unto the Lord, to draw in close, to align ourselves with God so that our hearts become like his hearts. The Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. But if you look at the actual literal translation of it, it says David was a man with God's heart. With God's heart. As in it's possible for us to have God's heart. So that when our hearts, well, when his heart breaks, our heart breaks also. When his heart goes out, our hearts go out also. The closer I align with God, the deeper my relationship goes with Him. The harder life sometimes is, but the better life sometimes is. Because now I'm not living for myself anymore. Now I start to actually see others and I start to have compassion for others. All right, so number three, third bullet point. The last way. There's multiple ways, but the last way on here to uh, <clears throat> break your heart, per se, like God does, is to move for people the way that God does. Now, as you can probably tell, passion and compassion creates action. So you can't just sit around feeling sorry for people. I'm so sorry. It's not good enough for us, myself included, to look at somebody and go, sucks for you. <laughs> like, I feel sorry for you, but that's all I'm going to do about it. Jesus looked at somebody who had nothing, no future, no hope, no child, and he went into that place and he was moved with such compassion that he took action and he raised her son from the dead. In the same way that God looked down on us, was moved with compassion by our loss, by our lack of hope. He was so moved that he took action and he sent his son so that we could be raised to life, so that we could be in relationship with him. He was moved us with such compassion that it led to action. And I know that we're called to mourn with those who mourn, but it took me a while to understand how that fits in with our call of being a people who are called to be joyful, right? Like, yes, okay, we feel sorry for people and we're moved with compassion and our hearts break for other people, but how does that fit with this idea that we're meant to be a people of joy, people of peace. And I understood it because my mom actually pointed this out. She said, it's because we shouldn't camp there. We shouldn't camp in that place of pain, in that place of brokenness. That's not healthy. That's where a lot of illnesses stem from, staying in that same cycle of pain, of brokenness. No, we're called to move. We're called to be a people of action. Sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. I'll finish with this story. There was this kid in my high school. He was shy, painfully shy. Like so shy that if you tried to talk to him, 
he couldn't actually respond. Like he could not answer your questions except for maybe monotone syllables. And it, it, so it was difficult for him and I, he sat alone at lunchtimes by the changing rooms or by himself. But there was this girl and she ended up sitting next to him every now and then at lunchtimes. And then after a while, she began to talk to him. And then after a while, he began to respond, to reply back to her. And then people would sometimes walk by and see that these people, these two were having full conversations. And it was so, it was so awesome. But that girl wasn't me. I wish it was. I so wish it was because I saw that kid as well. I also saw him. And my heart also hurt for him. I also knew what it felt like to sit alone at lunchtimes, to be avoided by people, to be shut down by other people and to not know how to make good friends. And I knew, I knew what that loneliness felt like. But I was so caught up in the frenzy of fitting in that I forgot about my good intentions. And subconsciously I had decided that my struggles and my problems were more important than his. Just because I didn't go to talk to him and go help him out. And that is the one thing. I, I have very few regrets in life. That is the one thing that I wish I had done differently gone to sit with that boy at lunchtime because just like faith without actions is dead honestly so is compassion without action just because you feel sorry for somebody doesn't mean that your sorriness is going to help them in any way God's called us to be moved to have compassion compassion sometimes you wonder what your calling what your burden is your burden is what breaks your heart. Your burden is what fills you with compassion for other people. Some people are called or they're moved by compassion for people who are outcasts. Some people are moved with compassion for people who maybe have physical pains. But we are called to do more than just be sorry for them. We have to be a light upon a hill. Compassion without action is pretty much just pity. And I'll finish off with this actually. So often, myself included, we look at people who are evangelists or missionaries and we go, that's so cool, but I'm not like that. I'm not like that. I don't have that kind of drive. I'm not really called to that even though the Bible says that we're all called to share the gospel with other people, right? Not going to touch on that, but it is in the Bible. Um, we're called to share the gospel with others. But we look at those people and we think, I'm not like that. I'm not naturally that passionate about saving the lost. I just don't feel brave enough or moved enough to tell people about God. What if I told you that you could be? I figured it out. I figured out what sets us apart from those people. Honestly, it's just compassion. I mean, yes, 
It's a lack of fear of man. But what drives people beyond the fear of man, what drives people beyond the fear of not being good enough, of not saying the right stuff, what drives you is something that is so deep-rooted that it's called compassion. It's so deep-rooted that kind of suffering for those who suffer, that pushes you beyond what you thought you were capable of. Think of a father whose child is lost or in pain. How much would your heart not break to save your child? In the same way that God's heart broke to save us, his children. It's no coincidence that every single time in the Bible, when Jesus heals somebody, almost every single time it says Jesus was moved with compassion. It's no coincidence that out of his compassion came action. So what breaks your heart? What are you passionate about, compassionate about? Let us become a church that is stirred with supernatural compassion. Let us become a people that are defined by kindness and grace and mercy and compassion. Let us be a people who are stirred. Let us be a people who know their calling, people who are called to save the lost. Let us be a people whose hearts break for those who are broken. Let us be a people who are after God's own heart. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence here in this place. We thank you that you push us beyond what we were thought capable of, and yet you keep on coming through. You never let us down. You never leave us alone. Thank you, God, for who you are. You are a good, good Father. But God, I pray that you will stir our church that you will move us with such compassion that it will be undeniable that we are different from the rest of the world, that we don't fit in anymore because we are to our core, our hearts are aligned with you. And everything that flows out of us is just compassion and grace and mercy and kindness. Let us be defined by that today and forevermore. God, let us have our hearts broken for the world. God, break our hearts for what breaks yours.